0: may be seated. I have with me a Paul Wareham. He's a friend. You know, the Bible says a friend loves at all times, and a brother is made for adversity. Many adversities Paul and I have walked through together, and he is a true friend, a friend of our church also. He's the guy that painted everything you see around you, 95 gallons worth, and um, will lead us toward the finishing of our unfinished uh, space. So, Paul Wareham. He'll be in just a moment. But we're in Romans chapter 4. We'll be at chapter 4, verses 16 to 22 in just a moment. The subject I want to address is that of faith, especially when it's hard to believe. Some believe that faith is primarily intellectual, you know, just believing something. Some believe that faith is generated by emotions, like when you're <laughs> at a game and you see the sign, you've got to believe, right? You've got to have faith. If you have enough faith, your team's going to come back you have faith. So what is faith? How does our faith get stronger? We all know something about faith. If you've ever flown on an airplane, you know something about faith. The most important person the most, <laughs> the most important person on the airplane is the pilot, of course, in the cockpit. Probably the next most important person is the mechanic to make sure that airplane's flying well. If you ever rode on an elevator, you know something about faith, right? Especially when you're descending at breakneck speed downward, the thing that has brakes is going to stop. If you ever had surgery, you know something about faith, putting your faith in a surgeon or the surgical team, the, the hospital you are. So, the key to faith is what or who am I putting my faith in? The object of our faith. And right now, your faith may be vibrant and alive. Your faith may be stagnant and stuck. It depends on what you feed your faith on, because the Scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So, Abraham, we're going to see, faced a lot of obstacles in his faith. One of the obstacles he was facing was a hopeless circumstance, Abraham going to see was 99 years old and his wife Sarah was 89. And the promise was that Abraham and Sarah were going to have a child together. And that not only that but there'd be so many descendants of them they would be as many as the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. You may be facing what seems to you humanly hopeless situation. The person you're married to doesn't want to be married anymore, there's been a slow drift apart, you'd be open to reconciliation, but your spouse doesn't seem willing, and it feels hopeless. You or somebody you know may be facing a life-threatening diagnosis like cancer or Alzheimer's, and the prognosis isn't good. They've made some recommendations concerning your diet and exercise, maybe some supplements, pills to take, but the doctors aren't giving much to hold on to it feels hopeless abraham it says against all hope believed he put his faith in god's promise you see what matters is not how big or fa- how little your faith is it's a question of how big or little your god is you see there's two things that helped abraham enormously in his journey the first is he believed that God could raise the dead. The things that were once alive and vibrant, full of life, but now have died, it seem hopeless. God can breathe life into that hopeless situation, breathe life. Second, he believed that God calls into existence things that did not exist. God is the creator. So the question really is as we start is, are you a big Godder? Or a little godder. You can have a little faith in a big, very big God. Let's say your faith is only the size of a mustard seed, and that God who's very big can move mountains for you. God is able to move mountains. So I want you to think as we begin this sermon, what are the circumstances of your life? What are you dealing with, and what do you need faith? I want to Introduce this topic by taking you to a story in Luke chapter 7 that Luke told about a centurion. The scriptures declare that about this time Jesus went back to the city of Capernaum. Now we know something about Capernaum. It was on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, it's where Peter and Andrew were from, John and James. They were fishermen. And Jesus set up residence there when he began his ministry. But in that city, there was a centurion, a Roman soldier, and this Roman soldier had a slave, a servant, and the servant was very, very ill. And so what happens is that the centurion asks some Jewish elders to go to Jesus and make petition that his servant would be made well. And so they agreed, and they went to Jesus and said, this man deserves For you to do this, because he loves our nation, and he built us this synagogue. Now that was very unusual on a number of counts. One is that the Roman centurion had a deep appreciation for his servant. Servant slaves then were disposable, but he had a feeling of affection for him. He felt he was highly important. Secondly, the Jews and Romans had very little dealings with each other. The Jews were always trying to overthrow the Romans. The Romans occupied their territory. So for this Roman to ask a favor of a Jew was highly unusual. And they went to Jesus and they asked this question. And Jesus began to walk with them to this man's house. And while he was on his way, the centurion sent some friends of his to Jesus saying, Lord, I don't deserve this high honor. I don't deserve you to come under my roof, my house. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Man had faith. And Jesus said, I, he was amazed at this man's faith. Jesus was never amazed at someone's intelligence, what they knew. He wasn't amazed at people's wealth, what they had. But he was amazed at this man's faith, that just say the word. If you just say the word, Jesus, my servant will be made well. And so, when the centurion returned, his servant was made well. So let me make six points about this story that might be helpful as you begin to think about faith. Faith. First is, the starting point for faith is always humility. These Roman centurions were the backbone of the Roman army. They had shown bravery in battle. They could command a hundred men. They were the ones you asked when you wanted to have something done, get a centurion to do it. They built the roads, the infrastructure, the bridges. They built the aqueducts. They uh, kept the cities at peace. They were used to giving and receiving orders they had given, were given orders from their superiors. They were given, giving orders to men. If he said, go, a man went. If he said, come, a man came. And these soldiers had done much for the city of Capernaum. He had loved these Jewish people, built them a synagogue. You know, someday we're going to finish that unfinished baseball. It's going to happen. I have faith to believe that space that is laid unfinished for 17 years is going to be finished. By the grace of God. Now, somewhere in the city, this centurion had a home. And he heard, when he heard that Jesus was willing to come to his house to heal his servant, he said, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my house, for I am not worthy of such an honor. You see, humility is not to think less of yourself. Humility is to think of yourself less. Pride says, I can handle this. I'm pretty self-sufficient. Humility is the true assessment of ourself. And when we look at ourselves in relationship to God, it should be a very humbling thing, that none of us are worthy of anything he would give to us, that all of it is given to us by grace, by God's mercy. He didn't think that as a Gentile, he was worthy of Jesus coming over. Number two, faith believes who God is and what he says. Now, I don't know what the centurion had heard about Jesus, because when Jesus left his hometown of Nazareth, he chose some disciples from Capernaum and took up residence there. Jesus would preach in their synagogues there. He would do miracles in Capernaum. It was at Peter's house that Jesus went to that Peter's mother-in-law was healed, and she began to get up and take care of them. And then they lined up outside of Peter's house, one after another, that was sick and afflicted, and they were healed. Perhaps the centurion had heard of these healings, and his servant, most likely was a young man, didn't look like he was going to make it. I imagine this young man lying motionless on the couch. His breathing is labored. His face is reddened. His fear, his fear. His fever is raging. The centurion had done everything he knew to do to help the man. He called physicians. I'm sure he tried home remedies. But he's down to his last chance. His servant is deathly ill. And Jesus the healer is in town. So I'll just send some people over to come and ask him to heal. He believes that Jesus has the power to heal. He believes that Jesus... Does what Jesus says He will do—that He is our refuge and strength, and ever-present help in our time of trouble—and number three, the crisis of faith. And some of you this morning are in a crisis of faith. Is the intersection between our circumstances of what we're dealing with and God's promise? The circumstances here were pretty bleak. The servant doesn't look like he's going to make it. The prognosis isn't good. And unless there's a miracle, he will die. And we all face, generally speaking, circumstances that aren't good. COVID isn't good. The shortages of the vaccine aren't good. The variants like the UK-Brazilian variant that transmit disease aren't good. You see, it's easier to have faith when the sun is shining. It's harder to believe when the sky is dark. It's easier to have faith when everybody is well. It's harder to believe when somebody is sick. It's easier to have faith when the doctor's report is clear, but it's harder to believe when the cancer's back. It's easier to believe when you're flush with money, but it's harder to believe when the money is tight. You see, the crisis of faith is the intersection of our circumstances and God's promises. One time I was so sick, I didn't think honestly that I would make it. I had spinal meningitis infection. I had a tumor in my side. I had a surgery that went 95% well. The 5% that didn't go well didn't go well at all. And I was at home trying to recover and feeling very depressed. And God gave me a promise, and this is what it was, for I'm convinced that because of your prayers and because of God's Spirit, I will be delivered. I believed to the extent I could believe that my God knew my situation and my God was going to help me and He was going to deliver me. Either He was going to bring me back or He's going to take me home. And then I had a second promise. It was from 1 Peter 5.10. It says, After you've suffered for a little while, He will restore you. And I believe that promise. You see, the crisis of faith is the intersection of our circumstances and God's promises. Number four, faith isn't really real until it's tested with challenging circumstances and dares risks to believe. Hebrews 11.1 says faith is the substance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen, for without faith it is impossible to please God. For everyone who comes to him must believe that he is, he exists, and he rewards those who diligently seek after him. Yes, the centurion faced challenging circumstances. He had a highly valued servant. The servant wasn't well. Doesn't look like he's gonna make it, but the centurion dared to believe. Shortly after I was saved, I started reading Christian books. And I remember reading one book about George Mueller. You ought to read about his life sometime. George and his wife operated an orphanage in a place called Bristol, England. George Mueller was a man of faith. He never asked for money to supply the orphan's need. You know, Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. For your heavenly Father knows what you need, and he'll supply what you need. Because look at the birds. God takes care of them. He'll take care of you also. You're much more valuable than they are. Or George Mueller was a man of faith. And his wife and he would pray over needs. (laughs) And there was a time when the cupboards were bare. There was no bread or milk to feed the little children. And they sat down to the table and they prayed, Heavenly Father, thank you for taking care of us. Somebody said, If you want to see a miracle, you have to suspend unbelief. You see, faith is belief and unbelief, but acting on the belief. You see, we all in our humanity have our doubts and questions and struggles, right? We all can lean into unbelief and believe it can't really happen. But faith, on the other hand, takes a promise of God and believes that what God says is true And clings to that promise. So here's George with these orphans, nothing in the cupboards, praying to the Father, believing God's going to provide for them. And this truck breaks down outside with milk. And the milkman says, my load would spoil. Do the orphans need any milk? And then a truck breaks down carrying bread enough to feed the little children. You see, they dared to believe. Faith isn't really faith until it's tested with very challenging circumstances and then dares to believe. And our faith over time, number five, becomes strengthened like a muscle. You see, you have muscles, and when you use those muscles, those muscles get stronger. And faith is something like a muscle. You see, when you use your faith, Your faith gets stronger and stronger over time. This last um, Sunday, we anointed Emerson work. Emerson is precious to us. He's in the early stages of Alzheimer's. He served here here as an elder. And ever since we anointed him, I have felt in my spirit as if God is going to manifest his power in Emerson's life. I don't know if he's going to arrest the disease. I don't know if he's going to heal him. I don't know if he's going to give him strength to persevere through all of this. I don't know if God's going to take him home. But I feel in my spirit that God is going to do something amazing in Emerson's life. Now, I'm sure that the the diagnosis isn't good. There isn't a cure. But there is God. And even when I don't understand, I trust that God understands. And even when the situation isn't good, I trust that God is good. And my faith has been strengthened as it reflected upon the goodness of God. And sixth, it is hardest to believe when your life is hard. Some of you up are against some really hard circumstances. So I brought Paul with me, my dear friend, to ask him this question: "Paul, tell us when your faith
1: has been tested. I thought I was ready to share with you guys this morning until my boots hit that stage right there and my mouth became so dry I could <laughs> hardly speak. As a matter of fact, I asked Sharon to get me a bottle of water. Thank you, Sharon. She said, What?
0: I was water!
1: <laughs> I also wasn't prepared for what you just shared, R. Um, I'd reached out to R a little while back. The book of Romans is very personal for me. I've read that book probably more than any other book in the scriptures. There was a time in my life, I'd already come to the Lord back in 87, so I was saved and I wish I could tell you that I stayed the course of the Christian lifestyle and Christian living, but I didn't. I recommitted my life in 91, and about six months later, I found myself facing a personal crisis that I hadn't expected or seen coming. I didn't expect the emotion. <laughs> um, I cried out to God. I'd gotten to a place where I truly didn't feel like I wanted to live any longer. Hmm. I was facing a divorce, hmm. loss of home, loss of who I was. Hmm. And I prayed and I said, God, If you're really alive and real and you exist and everything I've been believing in is true, I need to know in a way that means something more than just words. And I just picked up the Bible and I cracked it open and I happened to look down right at Romans 8, 18. (laughs) And it says, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. And that may not mean a whole lot to you, that, that particular scripture, but that moment in my life, facing the things that I was facing, it was a promise, just like our just shared, a promise from God that the sufferings that I was experiencing were nothing in comparison. I began to devour the Scriptures in a way I never had before, and it was as if a light bulb had come on. Hmm. And everything that I was believing in became more and more clear. Hmm. And I, you know, R and I had discussed the direction of this uh, message that he was delivering and asked me to jump in here, I actually reached out to him <laughs> because the book of Romans is so personal to me
0: hmm.
1: i do a I was doing a jail ministry up until the pandemic. They no longer go in, but I go into that ministry or that detention center to share with the inmates the hope of Christ. Hmm. And this is a book that I often focus on. But I want to share something with you guys this morning as we're wrapping up this, the chapter 4. And these are the kind of things that began to jump out at me as I was reading through the scriptures. Verse 20 says, He did not waver in the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. That is what God has promised he's able to perform, and that was a promise that he was making to Abraham. And as I was digging into Romans in my earlier years, I didn't really know much about the life of Abraham. Hmm. And so I began to read about Abraham in Genesis, and I began to understand more about Abraham's involvement with my own faith. Hmm. But in verse twenty two, it says, "And therefore, it was a custom; it was accounted to him for righteousness." Hmm. That is a direct quote from Genesis fifteen, and it's a quote from a vision that Abraham had, where he God had told him to go out and look up at the stars and count them, if you can, hmm. and that would be his descendants. <laughs> and Abraham believed that. And as the scriptures say, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Our shared on that last week, the righteousness that's been given to us. And one of the things that blows me away about the book of Romans is it encapsulates everything about who we are in Christ and everything that he accomplished on the cross. Mm-hmm. It blows my mind, and it strengthens my faith. Mm. Verse 23 says, Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. That gets me excited. (laughs) It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. (laughs) That gets me excited. That is a promise from God. Amen. And the promises that I have embraced over and over in my journey with the Lord, and I wish I could say it was all just mountaintop experiences from that moment <laughs> on, nothing close to that. <laughs> But the promises that he's given me through being in the scripture, Romans 8.28, he takes all things and makes them for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Mm-hmm. What an unbelievable promise. Amazing. He took the mess of my divorce mm. and made it for my good. <laughs> That's just amazing. It just blows me away that even in my, my mistakes, he's at work. Yes. There's a story in Mark where a man brings, it's not the centurion, but it's something very similar. People had heard about Jesus' healing power. And so this man brings his son, who's afflicted with a demon, brings him to the Lord, and he says, Lord, please help my son. And Jesus says, do you believe? Because if you believe, all things are possible. And the man says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That is so typical of my faith. (laughs) I have this conviction that, yes, God can do it, but maybe he won't, or maybe he can't. Yeah. Yeah. And so the things, the promises of, of Scripture over and over and over just blow me away. And I, I just, I thank you, R, this morning for the opportunity to share, and I'm encouraged in this book, as always. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Paul.
0: I love Paul. Paul keeps it real. So let's go back over some of those verses that Paul was speaking about, beginning at Romans four eighteen. It says, against all hope, Abraham and hope believed. You see, Abraham believed God can do anything consistent with his character and his promises. Abraham brought God into the equation. Have you brought God into the equation of your life? Have you brought him into the circumstances you're dealing with? Here's our problem when problems arise. We think we can work out our problems in our own mind. If we come up with a solution, we believe. If we don't come up with a solution, we doubt. <laughs> our problem is our problem with our problem is we superimpose our limitations onto God. God can do anything. God makes a promise to Abraham. Abraham you're 80 80 you're 99 Your wife is 89. By this time next year, you'll have a son. And what did Sarah do? She laughed. And they called him Laughter Isaac. (laughs) He and Sarah built a nursery. They began thinking about their names. Why? Because Abraham believed God would do what God said. The object of his faith was the promise of God. Here we go now. Here's faith. Faith is believing God will do what God said he will do and adjusting your life around that. Faith is believing God will do what God said he will do and adjusting your life around that. Jeremiah 32, 17. O sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and your powerful arm nothing, nothing, underline nothing, is too hard for you. Out of the deadness of Abraham's body, out of the deadness of Sarah's womb, God would keep His promise and give the child a promise, Isaac. Second point, Abraham believed. His circumstances aren't everything. Hebrews, uh, Romans four nineteen, Abraham's faith did not weaken even though he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham's faith was tested big time. In his earlier years, you remember, Abraham had failed. He got Sarah to lie about being his sister to save his own neck. He tried to help God by fathering a child by Hagar. He failed, but his failures did not define him. There's so much to learn from our failures. There's so much grace to receive from our failures. It is by faith he received this grace. Can you imagine, this is Pastor R's imagination now, can you imagine Sarah and Abraham going to the OBGYN? What's your name, sir? Abraham. How old are you? 99. Ma'am? Sarah, 89. The OB-Joanne says, and how can I help? Sarah says, we'd like a pregnancy test. How old did you say you were? Eighty-nine. When was your last menstrual cycle? Fifty years ago. (laughs) Against my better judgment, I'll give you the test. But you are surely the oldest couple that's ever come to my office guess what, Sarah, you are pregnant. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? 89 years old with child. You see, Abraham's faith did not weaken. He did not give in to fear. He did not try to control what he couldn't control. He simply believed. He believed God's promise See, there's many things in life that could have discouraged him, like the infertility of his his own body, like Sarah's age, their inability in their past. But he didn't think about the things that didn't work. He focused on God's promise. Now, depending on God can be very scary, but Abraham did it. If God has made a promise to us, this is how we typically go. We head to the doctor. We search on the internet. If you were 99 years old, what would you do? Would you, how, would you, how would you resolve that? Would you just trust God? Or would you try to take it into your own hands to try to figure it out? Number three, Abraham believed the challenges were nothing. Romans 4.20. Abraham never wavered. In believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. Sometimes, like Paul, I feel like the man who said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Sometimes my faith feels so small. But the greater understanding of who God is, of what he has promised, the greater becomes our faith. Faith is simply appropriating everything God has for us. God calls us to walk by faith, to believe that my God has this, that he's all-sufficient, that my God is large and in charge. The Christian life is really about trusting the Lord. You know, I faced another crisis in my life. I was very young, just in my 20s. and An older saint said, there's only one verse of the Bible you really need to know. I said, just one verse, it's a big book. She says, this one Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. She taught me that the Christian life is really all about trusting the Lord when you don't understand. And fourth, Abraham believed God's promises meant something. Verse 21. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what God had promised. Faith is not simply believing in God. Faith is trusting a specific promise God has made to you, that he would send his son who would bring blessing and salvation to the world. When Abraham believed this, it was credited to him as righteousness. You see, I talked earlier about what faith is, right? We all know something about faith. Faith is getting on an elevator and believing that the elevator will take you where you need to go. Faith is flying in an airplane and believing the pilot can get you to your destination. We all know about faith, but saving faith, when a person has saving faith, what they understand now is that God would send a Messiah, would send the King the anointed one, and that Abraham had this gospel preached to him. And he believed that someday the Messiah would come, be one of his own descendants, and this Messiah would take his sin from him and that he would justify him. So Abraham believed this, you see, and God put into his account righteousness because he put his faith in a specific promise that God had given. You see, when a person's forgiven, Their debt is resolved. But when a person believes in the Messiah, righteousness is put into their account. Let's pray. Father, here we are on a Sunday morning, and we're talking about faith when it's hard. And all of us collectively are facing hard circumstances. It's been difficult. We've been challenged, Lord. We have um, come up against adversity that we never expected to face, a worldwide plague, a disease that seems out of control, fears in our hearts, anxieties. All of us, Lord, have felt different things at different times through this but you're the God who steadies us. You're the God we've put our trust in, we have confidence in, that God, you're going to carry us through this season of life. You're going to strengthen us to be able to teach our children. You're going to enable us to um, preserve our marriages. You're going to enable us to show goodness to the people around us. And just as you raised up George Mueller and his generation to be a man of faith, so, God, would you raise up in this generation a people of faith that believe your promises, that you are our refuge and our strength, that you are an ever-present help in our times of trouble. <sighs> that, God, you're near to the brokenhearted, and you save those that are crushed in spirit. You're the great physician. You came to heal the sick. That God, at this hour, we put our faith in you in this crisis that we are facing, this challenge that we are dealing with, these circumstances we're living through. We trust you, God, that you are who you said you are and you will do what you said you will do. We choose, Lord, to have faith. We choose to... Open our hands of that which we've clutched to, and release it into Your hands, Lord. It may be a child, maybe something at work, maybe a strained relationship, and maybe a financial difficulty. Whatever it is, Lord, we we put it at Your feet, and we believe God that You are the great provider, and You are the great physician, and You're the great healer, and that God. You help your people when we call upon you. Meet us, God, where we are, because we need you, Lord. We need your grace poured out upon us. We need your favor. We need your mercy. Would you show us, Lord, your goodness and your kindness? We look to you, Lord. We look away from our circumstances, and we look to heaven for you, God, to give us what we need. For so We pray together in Jesus' name. Well, it seems as if God was at work in George Mueller's generation because God raised up a person of faith who just believed that God could use him to love somebody who needed to be loved, right? I wonder who God's going to raise up in this generation. He's going to be a person of faith who believes the promises of God are true. Jesus said it this way, Go and make disciples of all the nations, right? Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And lo, I'm going to be with you. There's a promise. I'm going to be with you until the very end of this age. This church was making disciples before COVID. We've been making disciples in COVID. And guess what? We're going to make disciples after COVID. There's going to come a day when COVID's behind us, right? What we want to leave in the post-COVID world is disciples, people who genuinely are following after God, who are exercising faith, who are placed in the various spheres of life, business, education, military, entertainment, athletics, school, everywhere, people of faith who are living out their faith, right? Walking by faith, not walking by sight, walking by faith, believing God has put me here for a purpose, to love him, to love somebody. God had his George Mueller 300 years ago. God has you in this generation to be a person of faith. Pray with me. Father, would you energize our faith? Would you awaken us, Lord, to this opportunity, this hour we live in? that we get a chance to trust you, that, God, you are good, and you work everything toward goodness? toward our good and for your glory. God, would you get some glory out of our lives? Would you, God, help us to override these fears and questions and struggles we have, to exercise some faith, just to believe, Lord, that you're real, that you exist, that, God, you help us in our journeys, that you are our strength, you're our wisdom, you're our righteousness. You're everything that we need, God. Help us to cling to you, to rely upon you, to pass this on to our kids, that we are people of faith, we believe. God, meet us where we are, we ask, in Jesus' name. Help us to hang on to those promises, we ask. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.